The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. 2 Corinthians in chapter number 5. Wasn't that a beautiful offertory song? That's when death was defeated. Man, what a beautiful song. Enjoy worshiping this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. The paragraph really begins in verse number 16, but for the purposes of today and the question that we've been dealing with here uh, through the catechism today, we're going to pick up in verse number 18. We'll read down to the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 18. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg, we beseech, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Isn't that just a beautiful passage of Scripture? Well, let's bow for a word of prayer and see what the Lord has to say today. Our Father, we love You and thank You for this good day. And we thank You, Lord, uh, for our people being able to come out and worship You today. We pray again uh, because of the storm, those who aren't or those who may have damage, we pray for recovery efforts there. And now, Lord, as we focus our attention, so thankful for the good music and the time to give and pray. And now, Lord, I pray that You would calm our hearts, focus our minds, and help us to think clearly and carefully about this wonderful biblical truth of reconciliation. Help us to rejoice today that we have been made right with You. And we will thank You for it. Help it to seep its way in, Lord, as we study and look at these verses. Help the truth that is contained here, this, this one seed, Lord, help it to take root down deep in the soil and to, to sprout forth a beautiful tree of a Christly life of rejoicing and thankfulness for what You have done for us in Christ Jesus. And we shall thank You and bless You for it is in the name of Jesus we do pray these things. Amen. I was reading this last week about two ladies, uh, Verena, interesting name, and Julia. And uh, they had this terrible dispute. Uh, they argued and fussed and fought. They, they had problems with each other, hated each other. But later on in, in life, they ended up settling houses right next door to each other. 
And because of the reconciliation that God had made with their heart, that is, that God had made Himself right through Christ in their own sinful lives, because Christ had redeemed them and restored them into a right relationship with Him, they were able over time to repair that relationship and reconcile with each other because God had reconciled with them. And ultimately, that's what we're dealing with in this text today is the doctrine, the new, the, the, the really the whole Bible speaks of this doctrine of reconciliation, and that is being made at peace with God. Now we talk about reconciliation, that is a kind of a buzzword or a hot word in our society today. We talk about things like racial reconciliation, we talk about familial reconciliation, we talk about putting families back together and marriages back together, and even international country reconciliation, making people right with each other who are at war with each other. There is a making up and a peace to bring between one side and another side of bringing reconciliation. And so we must ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about reconciliation? Not just horizontally with each other, but what does the Bible have to say about reconciliation vertically between a holy and a mighty and a true God and wicked, terrible sinners just like us? What does the Bible have to say? Well, in 2 Corinthians 5, we simply find this passage, and you'll find that in the context here, verse number 1 through verse number 5 speaks about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Verse number 6 through verse number 13 speaks about living for Jesus Christ and making Him the center of our life and living that out for brothers and sisters, the changing of our behavior toward other people. And all of that is predicated and built upon verse 14 to 21, which speaks of the reconciliation, the gracious reconciliation of God and humanity, of God with sinful people. And so when we walk away here today, we want to remember this, that God's gracious reconciliation should encourage every believer in this church and around the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ with every unbeliever. Because all unbelievers in the world stand at odds and stand as the enemy of God and they need to be made right by His mercy and His grace and His power. Amen? So what does this text say to us today? What do we need to know about reconciliation? Well, the first thing is this. That reconciliation, it is God's initiative. God takes the forefront. God is the one who makes up with us. It is not that somehow, someday, you find yourself saying, you know what, I just need to be made right with God. I, I think I want to be in a right relationship. No, the Bible says that every person in the world is going headlong their own way, serving themselves as the king of their own life and by God's mercy and design God takes the initiative to bring his reconciliation to make up with us God wants to make peace with unbelievers. And so we're running hard in our own direction. We're going our own way in life. And God in His mercy and His power comes alongside of us and says, I want to make you right with me. 
Look with me, if you would, back at this text. God's initiatives. You'll see that God has the marks of reconciliation. Look back at verse number 17, if you would. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and all things are becoming new. You see, when God saves us, when God reconciles us, when God puts us into a right position with Him, our old life is passed away. The old things are dying away, and He gives us a new life, and a new heart, and a new new home and a new way of thinking. All of the markers of salvation belong because God has taken the initiative to come to us. Yes, we respond in faith. Yes, we are to believe. And yes, the responsibility is upon every person in the world to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jonah said in his words, salvation is of the Lord. God always takes the initiative to come to us in salvation and in reconciliation. Amen? Not only to the markers of this initiative, but I want you to see that He gives the ministry of this. Look at verse number 18. Now all these things, that is, everything that is preceded in this book and in this chapter, all of the blessings of reconciliation, all of the new life that goes along with that has come from God. But not only that. Look at verse number 18. Now all these things are with God, from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that God takes the initiative not only to give us a new heart, God takes us and gives us the initiative to take that reconciliation and take to the rest of the world. And so our lives, our new life in Christ has been given to us by God. Our very ministry has been given to us by God. And what is the definition of ministry? Simply meeting the needs of others in the name of God. And so we never do things on our own way. We never have our own way in life. We understand that God always takes the initiative to give us new life, to give us our ministry. Look at verse number 19. God takes the initiative to give us the very message of reconciliation. Look what it says. Namely, here it is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed to us the word of or the message of reconciliation. God gives us the message that we're to go in the world. The word here where it says committed, it simply means that God has lodged inside of every believer the true message of salvation and reconciliation. God wants to make peace with every person in the world. And He gives us that message to take into our workplace, to our families, to our friends, to the people that we come into contact with, to those who are suffering because of what's happened this weekend. We not only take them the love of Jesus when we help them physically, but we are to take the message of reconciliation that God wants to be made right with them and that God will be made right with them based upon what Christ has done on the cross. Not only that, but God takes the initiative even with the mission. Look at verse number 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you see the power in that verse? As though God were reconciling people through you. 
as a believer when you go out into the world, you have the ministry of reconciliation. And the only way that you can complete that is by understanding that God first came to us. God first cleansed us and washed us of our sin. I I like what Albert Barnes has to say here. He says, it was the offended party, not the offending, that sought to be reconciled. And this shows the strength of His grace and His love. Hebrews 8, verse number 12, For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Brothers and sisters, please understand that you are not on neutral ground. God came to us in our sin, in our life, in our self-absorption, and He redeemed us and loved us and gave Himself for us. Christ comes to us first. And if you don't understand that, if you don't receive that and embrace that, then you'll live all of your life somehow thinking that you are worthy of heaven or that somehow you are the arbiter of salvation when what you really should do is throw your hands in the air and just praise God and say, He's the one that came to me when I wanted nothing to do with Him, when I wanted to go my own way. Jesus had mercy on me when I had nothing to do with Him. In this lesson today, I, I do want to dispel of a couple of false truths or uh, false statements concerning reconciliation. One of them is this, is that somehow the reconciliation between God and you is similar to making a reconciliation between, say, a husband and wife who are fighting or human beings that are arguing. All of our horizontal reconciliation must stand, must bow before a vertical reconciliation of God. And here, here's what I want you to understand. It's not as if you and God are both offended. And now He's going to make it right. Or He's going to come to you and hope that you'll make it right. And if you think well enough of Him, then you'll decide to make it right. That's not the case at all. There is no sin in God. He is absolutely holy. You know, even in, the, even in our relationships where somebody does us wrong, we still, every human being is a fallen, sinful human being. But with God, there's no sin at all. And so when God reconciles somebody to Himself, God reaches down into the roots of your life. And he says, even though there is no good in you, even though you're going your own way and doing your own thing, I'm going to reach down and I'm going to change the very roots of your life. It's not just that we're going to come to an even ground somewhere and sit at a neutral side and God puts out His side and you put out your side and God makes some uh, compromises and you make some compromises and you shake hands and go on. God comes to you in the awfulness of our own hearts and He reaches into us and says, from the very roots of your soul, you are not right with me, but I will change you from the inside out. And that kind of deep heart level work Only God can do. Amen? In our neighborhood, um, a few years ago, uh, our neighbor across the street decided to have a tree removed from his front yard. And uh, he hired this guy to come in. And uh, I think the fellow was saying the price was something like, I'll get rid of the tree for a hundred bucks. I think the fellow bit off more than he could chew. (laughs) 
He came and realized rather soon he cut the tree down and then they tried to get the, they tried to get the stump, the root, out of the ground. And this guy pulled, they were there, honey, weren't they there? They were there three days. And eventually the root and the, the, the uh, underground part of this tree was so strong, they had a truck and chains they were pulling. I thought they were going to pull the back bumper off of their truck. They had to bring a machine in to drill the root out of the tree in the ground. What I want you to understand is when God makes reconciliation with us, He doesn't simply cut the tree off at the root. He doesn't just simply prune the branches. God reaches all the way down and drills down into your heart and takes out the old sinful heart that is rooted in every part of your life. And He gives you the life and the heart of His Son. God is the one who does that. And the right response for all of us is to say, thank you, Lord. Because if you don't do that kind of work, I would eternally be lost in my own sinfulness. Thank you for caring for me when I did not care for you. Here's the second thing we learn from this passage concerning reconciliation. Not only does God take the initiative, but Christ provides it. It is Christ's provision. Look at verse number 18, 19, and 20 again. and Just simply follow the prepositions and you'll see the argument that's made. Look at verse number 18. First of all, you'll see through Christ in verse number 18. Verse number 19, in Christ. And verse number 20, for Christ. So look at verse number 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled to Himself through Christ. You see, God was working through the effort of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the cross work and the resurrection of the Lord, through all the pain and the suffering and the taking of the sin of the world into His own life. God was in Christ, but He was working through Christ. And then look at verse number 19. It says, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world. So it's not that He just used the Son to work through Him, but that God, very God, the Father was in Christ reconciling reconciling the world to Himself. And so when Jesus was walking with blood pouring out of His body down the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem, when Jesus had the nails put into His hands and into His feet, when Jesus was hungering and thirsting, when Jesus was being mocked and spit upon, God was there with Him in the moment. Through Christ, in Christ, look what it says, for Christ, verse number 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Uh, I do like what John Chrysostom had to say here. Listen to this. Hey, isn't that a great name, Chrysostom? I tried, to, uh, I tried to see if we could get one of our sons named Chrysostom, but I lost that argument. If you ever want to do some reading, he was called the golden-mouthed preacher. Listen, you can see why. Look at, look at this here. Oh, immeasurable wealth concealed in poverty. Isn't that a beautiful line? He lies in a manger, yet rocks the whole world. He is bound with swaddling bands, yet He breaks the bonds of sin. 
God takes the initiative to make up with us, to bring us into a place of peace, to redeem us and reconcile us from our sinful condition, but He does so through the mercy and the work of Jesus Christ. When Christ dies on the cross, He dies to make peace with the Father through His blood immeasurable wealth of heaven, He comes into a poverty-stricken nation. He is being rocked in the arms of Mary, and He is the one that sustains the entire world. He is wrapped in swaddling clothes, and He breaks the bands of sin and the chains of wickedness that hold every human being in the world. Christ dies for us. And we sang the song today, Christ is enough. Because Christ makes reconciliation through His death and resurrection for every man, woman, boy, and girl who will believe on His sacrifice today. God takes the initiative to come to us and He does so through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter number 5, verse number 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Here's the second false statement that I want to kind of dispel in this teaching today. First of all, I, do, I want you to understand that it is not that you're on neutral ground with God, but God is the one that has to come deep into your heart and provide for you reconciliation. But sometimes people in well-meaning believers in the world, they, they misunderstand the doctrine of reconciliation and they think this, that God is some sort of like, uh, uh, God is some sort of kid in a playground that got really mad at us and he picked up his toys and he's playing in another sandbox and that God's really angry, and you're really bad, and here comes Jesus on the scene as the sweet peacemaker. Now, if you had an understanding of the Bible or the work of God in that way, you need to throw that away. That is not what the Bible teaches. This verse teaches us here in verse number 19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. And so it is not that God is some sort of uh, angry old man somewhere and Jesus is the peacemaker. No, even though God is rightfully angry at our sin, even though God is holy and righteous and good and we are sinful human beings, God in His mercy and in His love and in His kindness is working in the very life of Jesus and in the sacrifice of Christ to bring us to a point of reconciliation. It is the offended party that brings us into right position with Him through the death of His Son. What about the verse that says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. I was reading this past week about a British preacher, uh, R.F. Horton. When he was a young man pastoring a church, he had two sisters, and one of them was 16 years old, and she was on her deathbed. And this is a tragic story. He went to visit her, and uh, as he was talking with her, she said to him, I know that you've always loved my, our other sister more, but I love you more. Isn't that tragic? I sat back from the desk this week and I thought about that. And I think Christ comes to all of us in this room today and He says, 
I know you love your bank account more. I know you love your relationships more. I know you love yourself more. I know you love your job more. I know you love your friends more. I know you love your addictions more. But I love you more. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Our reconciliation, being made right with God, is His initiative and it is Christ's provision. It is our benefit. It is our benefit. Look back down at the text. You see from verse number 18, he refers back. He says here, now all these things are from God. You see, uh, our new life, everything that happened in verse number 17, that uh, we moved from the old uh, life into being new creatures, a new way of thinking. All of this is, all of the newness of Christianity comes for our benefit of being made right with God. Not only that, but our forgiveness comes from being reconciled. Look at verse number 19. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. What does it say? Not counting their trespasses against them. God comes to us in our pain, in our sinfulness, in our own ways, in our selfishness. God comes to us and He says, listen, I know who you are, but I want you to be my child and I forgive you. I wash all of those away. I take all of the penalty of that sin and I put it upon the cross and I let my Son die for you that you might have everlasting life, a new life and forgiveness of your sins. And you may be sitting here right now today. And in your heart, you're mocking. And in your heart, you really don't want to have anything to do with God. And in His mercy and in His kindness, God still loves you. And His Son died so that you could have everlasting life. I don't know how long that offer will be there for you. But it's there today. And I speak on behalf of God to tell you, come to Jesus. Lay down your weapons. Believe on Him. And He'll forgive you for all that you've ever done. And He'll give you new life in His Son. The Lord Jesus took our place that we might have His peace. He took our sins that we might have His salvation. Our benefit is new life. It is forgiveness. Look at verse number 21. It is the righteousness of God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become... Alright, so you might have a translation here. The righteousness of God or from God. <laughs> And there's a small cottage industry of books and articles that have been written. Whether that says the righteousness of God or the righteousness from God. And, and you say, what is the argument there? Well, 
Some people would say that the righteousness of God is imputed to us, that when Jesus dies upon the cross, that our sin is given wholly right then to Him, and that His righteousness is imputed or given to us on behalf of Him. Another group might say what this means is that it is the righteousness from God, so that it is not just imputed in the moment, but that it is an entire lifetime of growing in the righteousness of God. So what is the answer here, Pastor Steve? Is it imputed righteousness or the um, the uh, or infused righteousness? The answer is yes. <laughs> I think in the context of Second Corinthians five eighteen to twenty one, it probably leans more in the area here of imputed righteousness. You say why? Because of the very context. When your sin was put on Jesus, verse twenty one, right? You wouldn't want the sin to be put on there slowly over time, would you? No. When Jesus dies on the cross, instantly, all of our sin is imputed to Him. It makes sense in the context of this verse that at the very same moment, all of our sin is imputed or given to Him, and all of the righteousness of God in Christ is accounted to the account of the believer in Jesus. Now you may sit here today and you may be thinking, man, we've had two days of storm days. I've been, I, I'm not even here, but I want you to understand, you ought to, you ought to skip out of here today as a believer. If you really grasp for a moment, the righteousness of God has been given to you. So when the Father of Heaven looks down this next week and He sees all of the times that you've messed up and all of the sins that you commit and every time you come short of the glory of God, God looks down on you and what He sees is the righteousness of His Son on your behalf. And He loves you like He loves His Son. He gives to you like He gives to His Son. You are joint heirs with His Son. All of Heaven that belongs to Jesus belongs to you on His behalf. Man, that ought to even make a Southern Baptist get a little Pentecostal. Amen? <laughs> Come on, y'all. <laughs> not only is it imputed, not only is it given to us in the moment, I think that it is right, and other Scriptures would bear out, that there is an infusion of God's righteousness as well over time. I'm reminded earlier this morning, I was thinking about this song, Day by Day and with Each Passing Moment. Strength I find to meet my trials here, trusting in my Father's wise bestowment. I'm no cause for worry or for fear. Every day we grow in Christ. God's righteousness is, meets us in the situation. And the more we mature and the more we grow, the more we are conformed to the very image of the One who died and rose again for us. When God looks at us this week, in a position he sees his son's righteousness already given to us. The Bible says we are seated in heavenly places with him. And at the exact same moment, every believer in this room has experienced the fact that you're not living in that kind of glory yet, are you? You're not living on top of the world. You still sin. You still fall short. You still mess up. And even in those moments of life, God's righteousness is there for us every day, working in us the eternal weight of glory for His goodness. <laughs> Colossians 1.20 And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. Brothers and sisters, we have these great benefits of God's reconciliation. And it is 
all of the benefit that God gives us through that, that we are able to be reconciled with other people. I, back during the days of the Cold War, when there was this great wall that ran through eastern and western Berlin, there is the church called the Church of Reconciliation. But it really was not a church of reconciliation, for the sanctuary was in eastern Berlin, and then there is a 10-foot wall, and the courtyard was in western Berlin. And I find that with brothers and sisters in church sometimes, we sit in the same room, we sing the same songs, we're supposed to be worshiping the same God, and with brothers and sisters sometimes there are 10-foot walls, and you're as far away from them as East Berlin and West Berlin. And shame on us to have those kind of things in our life. For the Bible says that He broke down the middle wall of partition and that we are one in Christ. I say on you, to you on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ today, if you have something in your heart against another brother or sister in this church or in your family or in this city or anywhere in the world, Jesus said, before you come to church, I'm paraphrasing, Jesus said, before you come to church, drop everything that you have and go make it right with them and then come to church. You're not right with God if you have bitterness and anger and malice and frustration in your soul over another brother or sister. And I said, Pastor Steve, you don't know what they've done. You're right, I don't know what they've done, but, done, but I know what you did to Jesus. I know that you're a sinner and I'm a sinner and I know that Jesus died on the cross so that we could be reconciled to a holy God who has never done anybody in this room wrong. He's only been good and holy and right. And if God reaches down into the depths of our heart by the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, to restore us to Himself, who are we to hold forgiveness from other people? I don't have time today to chase every caveat I'm not saying that you have to place yourself in a position to be hurt again. I'm not saying that there are ways to be uh, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But I am saying if you're holding something inside of your heart against another brother or sister in the world, reconcile in the name of Jesus. Reconcile in the name of the church. Reconcile. Be made one. Be made whole. Because Christ has made us whole with the loving Father. Let me finish with this. This passage teaches us that reconciliation is our neighbor's greatest need. Our neighbor's greatest need to be made right with God. Wouldn't you agree with me? People that are unbelievers are not in a right relationship with God. And if they die in that condition, they'll spend an eternity in darkness away from Him. And our neighbors need to be made right with the Lord. And so why, why is that? Well, look at verse number 15. I simply would say that people that have not been made right with God are self-centered people. Look at verse 15. And He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. You see, if you're in this room today and you're not in a right relationship with the Lord, you have not trusted in Christ Jesus, you're living for yourself. You're the king or the queen of your own life. You do the things that make you happy. You, 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 you live your life for yourself. You're a self-centered, self-serving kind of person. 
And your greatest need is to be made right with God. Not only are you not in a right relationship vertically with the Lord, but even in your horizontal relationships, you're manipulative. Look at verse number 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him in this way no longer. You see, the Apostle Paul is simply saying here, there was a time when, when uh, my, my relationship with the Lord was self-serving and it was manipulative and it was a worldly relationship with God in which I just wanted whatever He would give me and then I wanted to serve myself. And he says, not only were we in relationship with the Lord like that, we were in relationship with other people like that. And if you don't have right relationship with God in your life, what you'll do is use the rest of the people in your life to get the things that you want. Not only are you self-centered and manipulative, but verse number 17, you're living an existence that is passing away. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Do you, do you get the indirect teaching there? That if you're in Christ and things are made new, if you're outside of Christ, things are passing away. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, these are passing away and they're already passing away. And if you're not in a right relationship with God or if your neighbor's not in a right relationship, they're self-centered, manipulative and they're living temporal lives, grasping at straws, something that will provide for them. I like, this was convicting this week, I like what Charles Spurgeon said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. I don't know, early this morning I was thinking through that quote, and maybe we should tighten that up just a little bit. Have you no wish? I bet the vast majority of the people in here, if I polled you, you'd say, oh, I really wish that my neighbors and my family would get saved. But do you share Christ with them? Do you actually talk with anybody about what you believe? Well, I'm not going to go so far as to say, that you're not saved. Spurgeon would, but I wouldn't, all right? 1 Corinthians 9, 16, 4, If I preach the Gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the Gospel. Brothers and sisters, preaching the Gospel is not just simply the duty of your pastor. It is the responsibility of every believer in the world. Elizabeth uh, Barrett Browning, I enjoy her poetry. She was uh, semi-invalid, and uh, she lived with her parents most of her life, and then uh, she got married to Robert Browning, and her parents disapproved, and uh, not in a good way. They, they, they were very much overbearing, and they did not want to release control, and uh, they, really, they really had a bad attitude. And so uh, Elizabeth and Robert, they ended up moving to Italy, and uh, her parents wanted to have nothing to do with her all of her life. Elizabeth Browning wrote letters every month to her mom and dad. 
And when she was an elderly lady, all of the letters were sent back to her, unopened. And to this day, you can read all of those letters, and it's some of the most beautiful words in the English language. But had her parents opened those letters, they would have seen that she was trying to reconcile with them. And I just wonder how many of our neighbors we are giving mail to, offering them the reconciliation of God. Is it your responsibility to get them to open it? No, it's their responsibility to open it. But I wonder if our neighbors will stand before the great white throne judgment seat of God and say, I never received a reconciling letter from any believer in the world. Are you writing letters with your life? Are you writing letters with your mouth? Are you speaking the gospel of reconciliation to any unbeliever? It works, my friends. I told you at the beginning about Verena Davis and Julia Grant. Verena was Jefferson Davis's wife. And Julia Grant was Ulysses S. Grant's wife from the South and from the North. Probably the most bloody battle our country has ever seen was the Civil War. And here are two ladies absolutely at odds with each other who came to live door to door and reconcile with each other. Why? Because they recognized first that God had reconciled them to Himself through the cross of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior. Believe on Him and He'll save you. Maybe there's somebody here today and you are a believer, but you have not made reconciliation with somebody else. For heaven's sake, for the sake of the church and the sake of the gospel, be made right with one another because Christ has made us right with God. Amen. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.